Welcome to a very special edition of Unexpected Points, a post-trade deadline frenzy edition. The NFL is now doing its best NBA impersonation here with all of the movement that's going on. And I have with me an esteemed guest, former PFFer Eric Eager here. Now, what is your official official title now with your new venture here? Uh, I think it's partner, uh, research, VP of research and development. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, frankly, like you think about it this way, like, you know, there was a, there, you know, was trade deadline move right before the season to get me, I guess, uh, for Sumer. And now, and now, uh, we're talking about trade deadlines for, uh, for the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Which will be more impactful. We don't know. We don't, <laughs> we, we don't know. Big. What will end up being a bigger deal here? But for for those who don't know, there was uh, your your company, your new your new company. There is featured in the Wall Street Journal. We have uh, Thomas Dimitrov is the I don't know what is he like the CEO also and one of the partners there. Founder uh, Paul Tudor Jones, uh, PTJ as I like to call him. Do you call him mm-hmm. PTJ around the office? I don't know. And his son is also involved in there. So I assume here that you and PTJ are like buddy-buddy in a similar way to how we hear how the analytics staff is going out to lunch, you know, with the owners all the time. <laughs> they're, they're so tight there. I assume you are like in the billionaires club at this point. Uh, maybe not the club, but yeah, it was crazy to, yeah, it's, it's sort of like a different level of things when a billionaire calls you on the phone or, yeah. or, you, you know, you sit next to him at dinner or something uh, he's certainly uh, a guy with a lot of ideas, and you can you can tell uh, that that he's he's hit on a few ideas in his life uh, with with the way he, you know he thinks about football, and and you know coming from the outsider's perspective, uh, it's kind of refreshing a little bit, uh, having been kind of in the same environment. You know, I mean, at PFF, it was full time there for four years, and then uh, part time and full time for about seven. So. Uh, it, it's been a it's been an interesting transition. Uh, I, I've enjoyed it, and I've really enjoyed. You know, I got when I was at PFF. Obviously, you are, are great. You know, Timo is amazing as well. Ben Brown, uh, and obviously George, who I hosted the show with. Um, it, it was it, it, you know, it's a different group now, but um, you know, it, it's it's still fun. Yeah, yeah. You have new names there. Some guys, uh, a lot of people who've worked within the NFL before. Uh, so I'm interested to see, interested to see what you guys are doing over there. But um, I, I didn't know if you were banned from from being on PFF podcast before I brought you on here. So this may get stripped off of the PFF YouTube channel eventually when you become too big. But we're we're going to risk it for now. Yeah, I, th- that's the thing. I I was you know I I don't know when I'll be invited back on the forecast again. I feel like they they just replaced me with a younger, better looking guy with a goatee and and, and you know moved on. Better with goatee lives. also. Better and, goatee. And it's sort of like when they, uh, you know, when, when your your ex gets a new boyfriend on Instagram or something. I'm imagining I've been you know married for so long that I, I never experienced that. But uh, it, it's uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Also, yeah, he's probably a little bit younger too. Brad, we love we we love Brad here. Uh, he digested a lot of these trades. He did the grading, you know, the normal grading of the trades. We'll get into some of the individual trade stuff, but we like to you know focus on something a little bit different here. A little bit nerdier, perhaps. Um, and when it comes to nerddom, like base rates are kind of like an important phenomenon. When we're looking at anything, you don't want to get too much into the weeds of the specifics of something because you could probably justify or pan anything depending upon the angle that you look at a specific move. But you also, I think, is important 
no matter what we're talking about, fourth down decisions, uh, trades, draft picks, everything that we're talking about. We want to look and heavily look at like, what are the averages? What do you generally see from these types of moves? Generally, how valuable are they for team A or team B, depending upon whether you're getting the player or you're getting the trade compensation. And then that should affect how you view the trade. So I'm going to, I want to pose to you some of my, I don't know, some, some of my, my thesis here on what macro points on what these in-season trades mean generally for the two teams. You tell me if you, if you agree or, or disagree with some of these. So I discussed this somewhat last week when talking about the Kadarius Tony trade um, that happened to your chiefs. Also, of course, also your, your Vikings are also involved. Uh, You're not, you're not going to disclaim them uh, for some trades here, but Okay, I believe, number one, do you agree that you can get, all else being equal, you can get higher trade compensation for a player trading them in season than you would be doing in the off season? Uh, 100%. I mean, I think, you know, I was talking to somebody in the league uh, after the McCaffrey trade, and, you know, they were just like, you know, Eric, like, this is this is what his fair market value is in week eight of the season. And I'm like, well, yeah, I know that, but that's because it's, Dumb, you know, like, and, and, and he was basically like, you know, at this time of year, you're just, everybody's desperate and there's a deadline. And so you're just going to pay, you're going to pay over, you're going to overpay for these things. I think additionally, and this is an important context, ultimately what you end up with is going to be higher because the team that trades, trades for the player always believes that they're better when they make the trade than generally speaking, what ends up happening. So you know, the 49ers, you know, when they're trading a second, a third, a fourth, and a fifth, uh, fifth next year, like in their mind, they're probably saying, look, our expected draft position in the in the next draft is, you know, 28 plus or minus four or five picks when, you know, we know what the, the tail is to the left, you know, in, in that case. And so sometimes you end up paying more because the draft picks you end up giving up are, are are better for the receiving team because you end up being worse because that player you're, you're trading for the, you know, the 70th to 90th percentile of that player. And, and, you know, as you said, base rates, you end up getting the 50th percentile of that player, which is often underwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that happens also with some of the off season stuff. I think first round picks in particular, I mean, we've seen it, right. The Texans twice have given up what ends up being top five picks as yeah. part of trades to get players. Um, I mean, one but of them was a very successful trade to get Deshaun Watson, right? But even getting Deshaun Watson, uh, he gets injured. He he tears his ACL as a rookie, and then you end up uh, having the fourth overall pick that you're giving away to, to the Browns the next year. So I, I would agree with that. Yeah, now that was going to be one of my other points, is that generally the public and probably the acquiring team overestimates – what effect it has on Super Bowl chances, like your chances of winning the Super Bowl. The Rams effect, maybe we can have here too, right? Less need, Mr. F, uh, F them picks. Um, I'll claim ownership of that. that that's yours, right? man. That, that, yeah. that's... <laughs> I saw Schefter had a, had a uh, podcast and it was called as F the picks, not them picks. You might've messed that up, but I was like, oh my God, like Schefter is even, is even getting in on this, on this whole thing here. So, like I think overestimate the Super Bowl chances. Uh, I think you retweeted and I also retweeted after this, you know, this this Chubb trade, which we'll get into the specifics again on this. That Caesar Sportsbook uh, chose violence against uh, yes. against RG three here. RG three had, had sent something out says Dolphins just launched capitals, all capital letters, launched 
their Super Bowl chances to the moon, capital letters. And then Caesar Sportsbook tweets out that pre-Chubb trade, the Dolphins Super Bowl odds were plus 3,000 or 30 to 1. Post-Chubb trade, 30 to 1. Violence. Violence on, on RG3 here. Which I feel like, I mean... Their odds clearly went up, right? It's not. Yes. I mean, yes. it's that that that's. I feel like that's trolling. I also feel like the hold in these, like, so we got to be careful with this this betting market stuff. I do think it's funny, so I retweeted it. But you have to like in these one sided markets. Now, Circa does actually a good job of taking two sided action on on you know these futures markets where you can you can lay minus thirty to one or whatever for the the Dolphins not to win the Super Bowl. But like in a one-sided market, these books are allowed to keep their number that, that way to attract action because generally speaking, they're taking a much larger theoretical hold than, you know, in, in like, let's say you're betting a game, uh, you know, uh, on Sunday where the hold is like, two you know, 2% or whatever. Yeah, basically that. So, or 4.8%. So like I that that's kind of, you know, one thing about the betting there, but yeah, their, their odds clearly go up. I think the issue is, and, and this is where like, I get like a little bit, you know, annoyed, especially with like Chiefs Twitter yesterday, which very much wanted a big time trade is just like these odds don't go up that much. Right. Because, you know, and, and I, I sort of illustrate it this way, you know, the Rams, like how many things happened to the Rams that had a bigger uh, it was swing in their Super Bowl win probability than the Von Miller trade, which I think we hail, you know, hail as like a great in-season trade, a catalyst for them to win the Super Bowl. But like the Jaquiski Tart dropped interception had a much bigger effect on the Rams' odds to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs having an historically bad second half against the Bengals had a bigger impact on their Super Bowl odds than the Von Miller trade. And all this is to say that like Von Miller matters, but in the context of like actually winning a Super Bowl, there's just so much noise inherent in it. And, you know, unless that trade gets you into like, I, I call it like the basin of teams that only need one lucky thing, right? Patriots from 2010 to 2018 had a first round buy every single year, meaning like to get to the Super Bowl, they just need to get lucky like once, right? And they're, and they're in, um, you know, the Chiefs have hosted four straight AFC title games and like, to get to the Super Bowl, they only need one lucky thing, right? Other teams like the Rams need two lucky things, right? Because they got to go through a few teams to make it. They're going to be an underdog or a road a road team in one of those games, et cetera. And my question when teams make this trade is, A, were you already in the basin of teams that only need a few lucky things? Or if you weren't, does this trade get you out of that? And I think with Miami – like, I think that they're a good story, and I think they're a good team. They should make the playoffs. But this trade doesn't make them the favorite in the AFC East. And if they're a wild card team, like, good luck. You know, you can do it, but good luck. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think even a, a bigger thing that will play in when we're talking about the Rams, which is not going to apply to the Dolphins. Again, we'll, we'll look into the specifics here. Is just the NFC didn't end up being very good either, right? So the path to the Super Bowl, too, you're eventually playing a 49ers team with Jimmy Garoppolo has a bum arm. Um, you know, the, the other teams that you were expecting to be there um, weren't really there. Tampa, just a bad, pretty like an all time awful first half in that game to take a big lead. The Packers get eliminated. Um, the path for the Dolphins to get through the Chiefs, the Bills, 
you know, other competitors there, uh, whoever ends up coming out of the AFC North, it's, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, I think, I think too. But I do think that's an interesting question, just generally this valuation thing, because it plays into like non-quarterbacks here, kind of plays into the non-quarterback thing, even on a week-by-week basis. If someone gets injured, like what does that mean for the line for these different games? These players clearly matter, but our ability to quantify how much it does matter, I think is off and probably generally like overvalued, overvalued how much it matters. So you're, you're, you're in agreement there. So on the flip side, though, when we talk about over, overpaying for these players, I started to think about, well, you know, there is like an informational advantage that teams have now that they wouldn't have had. Generally, these big trades, right, would happen free agency, kind of at the same, same-ish sort of time with free agency, before the draft, before the offseason, before the first few weeks of the season. You don't know all these things. You don't know how players are going to develop. You don't know what your record is going to be. You don't know who's going to be available in the draft. When you go to the draft, a lot of times when you're drafting these players. So those discounts are built into it where you do know a lot of these things now. So I guess in I put it maybe in two categories. So I have two categories for this knowledge. Like knowledge which leads to desperation is probably bad with the overpaying, but knowledge when you're, let's say the Vikings and you know, you're going to make the playoffs or you have a really, really high chance of making the playoffs, which you had would have had no clue. That was the case going into this year, which could have been like a lost year, depending upon how things went. Cousins could have been gone. You know, you're going to make the playoffs. You know, Irv Smith was not really developing that great. And now he's injured. He's out to 10 weeks. You know, all these things, so can that knowledge make up for the extra that you're paying? I think so in the sense that, and and we, I think there are two types of trades here, right? And I, and, yeah. you know, we, we look at, you know, I think the Irv Smith one's great. I, you know, we think about Roquan Smith, right? You're getting Roquan Smith at the tail end of his rookie deal. And so, you know, there, there's a surplus value that Roquan Smith is giving you, assuming, and I, you know, I don't want to get into the PFF grades. He has not graded well, but we know that linebacker and corner and safety grades are like a little oscillatory. And may, you know, there's a fall guy on a defense, you know, and, and well, I think we can we can lean more towards like the common perception of him being yeah. like a, a, a so, great player so far. This yeah. Year. So like if, if his market value, let's say it, being conservative is 15 million dollars, you're getting a surplus because you're not having to pay like all that money staying back in Chicago. So if you're the Baltimore Ravens and you trade for him you end up, you know, getting a surplus above his salary of, you know, close to that 15 million, right? And so, you know, when you compare that to the value of a second and a fifth round pick, in the moment, that is actually, because again, the information you're talking about, in the moment, you know that Chicago can take that that sum of money. You also know, you know, what he's been worth so far this year, which he's played pretty well in my estimation. And like, again, that information tells you that that trade, it, a visa v 2022 is probably a surplus value the question then becomes if you extend him does that end up being uh does it end up dumping all of the value there subsequently because Roquan Smith reportedly wants over 20 million dollars and if you're a 15 million dollar player that wants 22 now you're trading for a negative surplus value asset and the picks that you give up are just gravy to the team that is acquiring them so that so it it you know, the, the, the decision also like these decisions also have these time horizons that matter as well. And I think when you talk about the Vikings uh, trading TJ Hawkinson, like that's a $500,000 player for a team that has almost no cap space for a team that as they saw last season, Quasi Adolfo Mensa 
is going to trade picks and he's going to trade back. He's going to accumulate assets. And, and I think to a certain extent, this is, you know, why you do that so that you can, you know, build your roster for such a time as this. I, I don't like, those are the trades that don't make me as angry. The ones that I think I get a little upset about are the, you know, Bradley Chubb, who I think is a good player, but like the immediate knowledge that he's now going to be a $20 million player. And, and because you traded the picks for him, that that's a foregone conclusion. That's where I think you get into the issue because again, you take the certainty that you get from this season and you, you, you sort of like throw some of it away by buying into the uncertainty of subsequent seasons. Um, and, and that adds, and, and when people talk about trades, they don't talk about the contracts. And I think it's misinformation. Like when you trade for a player, sometimes you end up trading for a contract and that changes the calculus. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think another trade that could have fallen into that, that category is if the Packers would have traded for Chase Claypool, which they mm-hmm. supposedly were on. I mean, I got, I mean, I get the theory that Rogers, like you need to take advantage of, but like you need a lot of things to go right. As far as him coming in, you're able to integrate him. He's valuable in 2022. The other receivers who look like they're getting better are actually worse options, maybe versus Claypool, all those sorts of things for a team, at least at this point in time that we have as having, you know, like a one or 2% chance of winning, of winning well, the Super Bowl, and, right? And I think I think the other part of it, which makes it important, and, and this is, you know, I have to go through and actually, you know, do the research on this. But anecdotally, I also think that there are just positions where integrating a player into an offense or defense at this time of year is less onerous than others, right? So we, we talk about Von Miller. Rushing the passer from the edge is like the same thing on every team. Um, you know, Setting the edge is the same thing on every team. So when he comes over from Denver to Los Angeles, uh, you know, the, the transition is mostly seamless, especially if he's if he's healthy. Uh, he wasn't as healthy last year when he came in. Um, running back is another one where like the running back position is, you know, there are different scheme, you know, you know, uh, run concepts and stuff. But running back, I mean, there's a reason why rookie running backs tend to do better uh, their rookie year than subsequent years is just because it's an easier position and you're more spry when you're young. Wide receiver, way, but Eric, I was told that it required Christian McCaffrey's Stanford education for him to be able to to learn the playbook and, and get in there so quickly. Yeah, I mean that that's so funny. But like other <laughs> positions, you think about like tight end, you think about wide receiver, um, you know, corner. Uh, you know, a lot of these positions are very scheme dependent, and 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 it's not necessarily as easy for that player to get in and that's an issue as well right so I think that that also adds to sort of my handicap of a few of these positions yeah yeah I mean like we've seen plenty of times especially with defensive backs that you put them in a new place even as a big free agent signing not even mid-season sort of thing and it could totally flop in one direction or another they used to kind of be the case for wide receivers too hasn't been the case as much recently because we had like these high-end wide receiver type of trades that we haven't seen in the past but Claypool kind of fits in that mix of like yeah, does this team actually is current team even really want him or not? So that again, we'll, we'll, we'll get to more of the specifics on that there. And okay, the last thing is is the the sunk cost sort of fallacy that could come into play. And you mentioned this a little bit with players getting an extension. So do you think it's possible for teams though to be better about just not? spending you know just 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 saying you know what we realize we did this but this is a sunk cost we talked about the ravens as part of this do you think the ravens can truly approach someone like rokon smith without having to worry about the sunk cost on this that they put into it and looking at an extension 
Yeah, we've seen two trades already where uh, you know the Ravens have have actually eschewed this this situation in 2020. You know, the Vikings traded for Yannick Ngakwe early in the year. Their season went their season went to hell, and then they go ahead and they um, you know they go ahead and they trade him to the Ravens. The Ravens trade a three and a five for him, and instead of like re-signing him, they just let him go. They let Judon go as well, and they get the comp pick. Like I think. That's an example. Now, Ngakwe is not necessarily like a prime, prime player, but but he's certainly somebody who garnered similar return um, to garnered similar return to uh, Roquan Smith. We also saw with Orlando Brown, um, we you know Kansas City let hit, you know Kansas City traded for him reportedly. Like you know you know the one thing. I mean, I think that the the you know not extending the contract basically made that trade a fairly solid trade for the Chiefs relative to if they would have signed Orlando Brown. So we've seen it a couple times where teams are saying like, no, it's actually not a foregone conclusion that we're going to sign this player, um, you know, assuming, uh, you know, we trade, you know, decent capital for him. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so those are kind of my, my main macro points. Let's get into some of the specifics here. I'm going to get them, although we've talked about some points on decent amount of these trades already. We'll kind of arrange them by compensation received. Um, I know that, you know, when James Robinson gets traded for a, whatever, like a conditional fifth round Six. pick, a sixth round pick, Schefter will put out blockbuster when it, when it comes out. It's like, eh, maybe not. Maybe we should look at what the compensation is to really value the blockbusterness of these different trades. So we'll start with Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins. Um not only was he the fifth overall pick, so he's that first-round draft capital pedigree sort of guy. First-round pick, 2023. Uh, Fourth-round pick, 2024. And Chase Edmonds. Uh, it's kind of toss, toss Chase Edmonds in there. A bad signing in the offseason, which now they've uh, been able to replace in Miami. And then Chubb and a 2025 fifth-round pick come back. We talked about like the impact sort of stuff. What I'm interested in from your perspective is because, again, this is not – only a 2022 move for the Dolphins. At least you presume that, right? So my thought is like, how good is Bradley? <laughs> is Bradley Chubb as being part of this? Um, just some quick numbers. I mean, he's 38th in our pass rush win rate number. I don't know where he is for ESPNs. Uh, they published the top 10. Maybe they have a longer list somewhere else, but he's not in the top 10, at least for that number. 27th in pressure rate, but he does have quite a few unblocked pressures. They have a pretty good like pressure scheme around there. Uh, Baron Browning and others have, have stepped forward there. He's missed 24 games over the first four seasons of his career, been healthy so far this season. So that's kind of like the layout for him. Assuming that he's going to get top-notch edge money, which now is in the upper $20 million a year, Maybe just from that perspective, like what do you think Bradley Chubb is really worth to to not just the Dolphins, but any team right now as a top edge rusher? Yeah, I know um, you know, Brad Spielberger, who, you know, has done such a great job. I, I think, you know, especially educating me while I was at PFF and uh, you know, the public, like that first round draft capital brings with it a premium, right? Because, you know, just top five pick too. We're yeah, talking top five like, pick. I mean, uh, because you know, you think about it, you know. Most of these people who are evaluators in the, or most of these people who are general managers in the NFL are evaluators. And, and if Chubb was a fifth overall pick, a lot of them had him valued high, right? So they're going to be clinging to their priors when they make some of these moves. But to me, it strikes, it strikes like a Frank Clark trade and not in like, you know, Frank Clark's been a disaster for Kansas city. I don't think, 
that, you know, uh, Chubb's going to be one in Miami. But, but you know, tra- you know, edge player is a solved position, right? Like this is, this is not a- a- as far as the, as far as positions go in the league, like it is the most efficient market, right? So when somebody, you know, obviously the high draft capital matters, but, you know, if a guy can't beat one-on-one pass blocking, you know, at a, an elite rate, um, you know, in addition to obviously all the other stuff with it, which is athleticism and all that. And I haven't looked at his NGS stuff. I, I do have that pulled up at some point, but like, this is, that's bad, right? Like a guy kind of is who he is when he comes into the league and, and, you know, over time, like we're really able to evaluate this position. So when the PFF grades say he's 38th, like I agree with that more so than almost any other position. And so I don't know if this makes the impact that I think Dolphins fans really want him to. And in addition, like they're a bottom, you know, third of the league team in terms of collectively generating pressure as a defense when they don't blitz. Right. So that's very much what they're trying to do. But then I, I, I weirdly think, okay, well, you, you bring him in and do you blitz less? Because now your team's playing left handed more than, you know, it, it's sort of playing out of character. And does that screw other things as far as their coverages and as far as, um, you know, what they want to do defensively? So I think a lot of this stuff like makes sense, right? You're not, you're not generating pressure with your front four that much. Um, and, you know, imagine if we didn't have to blitz every down, how good we'd be, blah, blah, blah. But Chubb's not necessarily a great guy at generating pressure, you know, relative to the the compensation and your defense is going to have to get used to incorporating him into the scheme. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think an analogy here is probably from that same draft, a different position, um, Denzel Ward. So if we remember how this, this, this draft went down, yeah. it was Baker Mayfield, surprisingly, at least initially at first Saquon <laughs> number two, of course, um, uh uh darnold number three and then bradley chubb was considered i think by most people to be the best defensive player in the draft it was actually a little bit of a of a curveball the fact that the browns ended up going with denzel ward but if you look at denzel ward he's maybe similar to chubb as a cornerback in some ways where like he's got some he's he's good not elite i would say how he played so far but yet when he signed a contract and it was based on you know, the Jalen Ramsey deal, which was signed earlier, it was very quickly surpassed by others. But still, he did sign the biggest cornerback contract in the NFL at the time that he signed as the number four overall pick. I kind of see this as being somewhat similar for, for Chubb, right? Is that like a player who's been great but not elite could maybe get close to the top contract. And again, we're talking T.J. Watt. 28 million a year, Joey Bosa, another top five pick, $27 million a year, 80 to $100 million guaranteed. This is going to be a big, it's, it's going to be a big one. So I guess what I would say though, let me, let me try to like give the dolphin side of things. The dolphin side of things, we talk about this, this like information that we have here for the dolphins that we did not have before. Uh, you made the huge trade for Tyreek Hill. You obviously spent a lot on Jalen Waddle because you kind of traded up to get him, although you traded back, however you want to net out all that stuff there. Uh, Tua is, at least right now, either first or second in the NFL, depending upon which measurement you have in expected points added per play. He's in the top five for for our grading so far this season. Like all these things have kind of worked out well. Tyreek Hill is an older player, too. How much can you give them credit for just saying, you know what, we're just pushing chips in yeah. for a window right here? I, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that at all. As far as the philosophy, I mean, you you saw it. I mean, you've seen it over and over again. You saw it with the Eagles in the 2017 season, where 
it's kind of like Wentz is okay, right? He's he's kind of got a, a little bit of a fat tail to him. So then you go with Alshon. All right, let's not uh, body shame. Uh, let's not body shame anyone. Anymore. Yeah, <laughs> Alshon. <laughs> speaking of Alshon Jeffrey, uh, you know Rodney McLeod. Uh, they trade for Ronald Darby in the in the preseason. Um, you know they 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 get a bunch. Uh, you know you had um, Tory Smith and like they brought a bunch of players in to 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 sort of do the thing, right? And they did win the Super Bowl, um, you know, because they invested in a veteran backup, frankly, uh, in in uh, Nick Foles. That, that team had Nick, a lot Nick of Nick Foles also had a fat tail. If I, yeah, yeah. By, by, and, by and, and, and there was a lot of, the, you know, and two or three years later, you're talking about them tanking for a draft pick and firing their coach and the, the athletic article about how Howie Roseman's a, a joke and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I think... The compliment to this, and this is where, you know, I'll give Kansas City a lot of credit as well. The compliment to this is there are times to go all in. There are times to say, look, we got a huge surplus on Patrick Mahomes. We can pay Sammy Watkins $16 million a year to be the number three option in this offense. We can, you know, spend two for, you know, I, I still don't like the trade, but we can go after Frank Clark, right? You can go after Tyron Matthew. But I think that. And and with Miami, like that's where they are, right? They're in the rookie quarterback window with a good coach who, again, uncapped, you know, you know, pretty good value right here. I think Mike McDaniel. Um, I think that you have to pair that with with pragmatism when it when it comes when when you when the window is no longer open, right? And to the Eagles' credit, and the reason that they are where they are is because they made hard decisions on Carson Wentz. They made hard decisions on Doug Peterson. Although I don't think that necessarily. Firing him was the catalyst, but Nick Sirianni is pretty good. But they it they makes it easier cut. to reset, though. I think it makes it easier to partially yeah. reset when he's not there, right? Yeah, to, yeah. To, they cut yeah. they they cut they cut the thing down and just built it back up again. And, and you know, obviously, you know, you like the Jalen Hurts draft pick more than anybody. I was fairly high on it as well. But like there were there were moves that they made to reset the window. And, you know, I, I fear, and this is a Buffalo fear. This is a fear about, you know, this is Minnesota, what they've been for years. Uh, San Francisco, of course. Like, you got to identify when the window's shut and, and you move on. And, and so if, if you're the Dolphins, when you do this, when you're the second favorite in your own division, right, and at best the third favorite in your own conference, and you don't get to the promised land, that's where I get worried, right? Because the li- life just gets harder. It only, it's only easier. It's, it's the easiest it's ever going to be right now, right? And for the Rams, it was the easiest it was ever going to be when they got Von Miller and Odell. It's a lot harder now, right? And when we're seeing the fruits of that. So that, that's where I, I get a little bit concerned about, you know, going all in. It's like, you know, even the Raiders this year, like you went all in to be plus 600 to win your own division. Like I, I get worried that the Dolphins are going all in when they don't really have a good chance. Like they can do it, but I don't think they have a great chance. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like if it comes down to that, what Chris Greer, how he operates, what his relationship is with the owner. I think for Howie, and this is you, you mentioned it exactly right. Like the ability to get out, right? That is probably the most unique trait of any GM. Um, is the ability to be to know when to cut losses. Because if you know when to cut losses, let's talk about Carson Wentz, right? Biggest at the time, biggest cap hit in NFL history taken on trading him away. Well, the cost of signing him to that long-term deal, uh, not just monetarily, but then like, you know, your development of your franchise, you can actually lessen the cost 
theoretically for something up front if you know later on you're willing to cut when you need to cut, right? If they were not willing to cut on Carson Wentz, imagine how much of a massive disaster that would have been coming forward. And I think some of that has to do with Howie Roseman's relationship to Jeff Lurie, too, is he could get all that hugely negative press. Um, and now, you know, he's on top of the world. Everyone loves him and still feel like he can make those moves and make it through it. So I guess we'll see what ends up happening for the Dolphins in that regard. But I want to move on, though. Let's move on to the, the Claypool trade, because this one is just I, I don't know what to make of this one here, because we saw the Bears trading off pieces, multiple pieces, uh, second round pick. Now they give away their own second round pick, which may have been a necessity rather than the Ravens second round pick that they acquired may have been a necessity because to beat out the Packers, if the Packers were also going to give a second round pick to get Claypool, who fits more into this mold again of like the old wide receiver trades or free agent signings that we used to see when their previous team is kind of like, yeah, I'll let them go. I got, we got Pickens. We got Deontay Johnson, who we just signed to a longer contract. We're okay. Letting them go. Um, what do you think the bears are thinking on this one? Cause that's what I don't really get. Yeah. To me, I think it's, it's the bears are trying to evaluate Justin Fields, right? So you, when you look at, you know, trading away, uh, Robert Quinn, you know, that was very clear. Robert Quinn is an enigmatic player, you know, one and a half sacks one year, 18 and a half, the next two and a half, the next, like, very clearly a player you don't want to build around as a cornerstone because of age and also just inconsistency, but obviously has more utility to a team like the Eagles. Bang. That's a great trade, right? That's a great trade for both teams. Roquan Smith, another one where, and I know people gave me a lot of crap, but like, you know, he just didn't fit into the Eberflus defense that well. Like he was just like, you know, when you looked at his movements and the tracking data and stuff, it was just, and and not that he couldn't change. It's just like, do you really want to pay 20 million APY to see if a linebacker, can change his stripes no okay you move you move on from him you know he goes to a different team um and, and that makes a lot of sense I think that this year and I was very firmly on the side of the Bears don't really believe in Justin Fields um I think that there's history to suggest that like a guy like Poles wouldn't have had a great eval on him I think that information to your point about information cha- information's changing like I think Fields has played well enough this year to, for the Bears to try to evaluate him further, right? And furthermore, you add to that the fact that the six teams that have starting quarterbacks that came from 2021's draft, the Bears probably have, so far, the best one. Like, maybe Lawrence, if you if you squint and look at the upside, maybe, you know, maybe if you, if you squint even harder at the Jets, but, like, I think Fields... <laughs> maybe if you poke your eyes out <laughs> put on for the, the, for the, the beer, Jets, but the, yeah. The, yeah. The, 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 the uh, Coke bottle beer bottle glasses to maybe look at his game. But I, but then that adds to, okay, if you really want to go back in and get another quarterback, well, you're going to be competing not only with teams that need them, but teams that were drafting at the same time you drafted Fields. Jacksonville, New York Jets, right? Houston. Um, you know, Sam Fran's not going to be competing with you, but like maybe even New England, right? And so when you look at that and say, okay, well, what's the the opportunity cost of moving on from fields is not being able to have the King's ransom when a team comes up and wants a top three pick from you. And so I think that as the information has evolved, you know, they probably they probably went into the season thinking fields might be bad. We'll 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 tank out. And we'll get, we'll just draft his replacement next year. But now it's like, well, Fields has actually been okay. We've seen some good things from him. 
let's get a receiver in here who complements Darnell Mooney a little bit and get a full eval on fields, a player that we weren't necessarily as as a high on. And 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 let's do it cheaply from a dollars perspective. It was expensive from the the, the pick perspective, but like I think that that's where they're going. And then so if they do still get a top pick, like they can flip that into more picks um, via a trade because I think this year you're going to have the Strouds and the uh, you know Will Andersons and the um, uh, the Bryce Youngs and like there's going to be people who want those top three picks versus uh, you know versus last year where people didn't really want them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like in a in isolation, Claypool for a second round pick that will again. This is the Bears' second second round pick, so we'll see how the rest of the the season goes. But it's not going to be a, a a low low second round pick is not good. But maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you could say we have this new information and that new information about Fields being legitimately a guy that could be that guy. Let's go ahead and shift from a defensive player that we're not really as interested in, who has who's done with his contract, basically. Um, let's go ahead and shift away from him and then do a draft capital flip in the second round and flip that into an offensive player that we can use for for fields for the rest of the season and maybe going forward. Yeah, and I and I think the things that the Bears struggle with, right? Um you know, linebacker is not a premium position, right? So you can access starting caliber linebackers in free agency. They have, you know, 110 million, 115 million. The The Bears are not good on the offensive line. On the interior of the offensive line, you can access guards and centers in free agency, right? So like there, it, there is going to be wide receivers a little harder because I think it's becoming a more premium position now. Um, you're not going to be able to access wide receivers through free agency. So this is a way to sort of get a premium position player who helps you make the evaluation on fields. And I, I think furthermore, you know, I, I mean, you, you got to also look at the the quarterback position across the league. Like there might've been a play where polls wanted to make a Russell Wilson, like trade wanted to make a, um, you know, Tom Brady like move or something like that. I'm not saying exactly those guys, but I'm saying qualitatively. And when you've seen like, you know, the, the Indianapolis Colts bust out with Matt Ryan uh, obviously Denver with with uh, Broncos country let's ride with uh, Russell Wilson like those moves are are sort of coming to the forefront as being more dumb than they than they were maybe last year when the or the last two years when the Bucks and the Rams became the second and third team in NFL history to win a Super Bowl with the quarterback on the first year of his team yeah yeah uh shout out to Seahawks fans probably including Ben Baldwin maybe I remember in the offseason when that trade went down when Seahawks fans were like, we didn't get enough for him. I was like, come on, like, what are you, what are you, what are yeah, you expecting yeah. to get? Like, that's that's not bad. I understand that you made an absolutely absurd trade for Jamal Adams, but that doesn't like affect how you view this trade. Okay, let's get into a little bit more. Inter- very interesting to me. Could be the most impactful trade of any of these trades here. I think um, Calvin Ridley. It's kind of a weird one here because there's all these conditions and everything. So Ridley going to the Jaguars. So it's a 2023 sixth that can become a fifth. I forget what the conditions are there um, that he's like on the roster or something. 2024 fourth that can go up to a third. I think if he's on the roster and then, and then go up to a second if he signs a long-term contract. So the, 
the ceiling is only going to happen here. And again, it's a, it's a, it's a second round pick two years out plus a fifth round pick a year out is the ceiling cost for them. And that's only if they're signing him to a long-term contract going forward. So that's with an ability to, to, to look at him for maybe two years before doing that for at least a year. Cause he'll be on his fifth year option. His contract holds. So he'll be on his fifth year option in 2023. I'm intrigued, but at the same time, we don't really know anything on here, like about what's going to, what's going to go on for how, what state Calvin Ridley is really in at this point, because like he was a guy as a first round pick who looked like a big hit, a guy who was going to get a huge contract, a great player. But what do we know about him? Because it's not just the gambling, you know, the gambling out for a season. Let's remember that he also left, came back and then missed the last five games of the previous season due to mental health issues. So you're really taking a risk here on whether he'll even be available or not. Yeah. And, and, that, and and that's so difficult to discuss, right? The, the fact that he had, you know, he had a very progressive view on mental health, which is wonderful. Um, that, you know, that he took time away to take care of himself. Um, but, you know, that's a risk, you know, from an on-field performance standpoint, that's always a risk to the Jaguars. I think additionally, like, are we certain that the Jaguars handle those things as well as the Falcons would? Like, I, I don't know. You know, like, I, I my, my prior would be, that they would handle something like that as well as the Jaguars handle everything else. So I, I would, that, that would be, um, you know, that, that makes it a, a high, a high risk, high reward sort of situation. But, you know, I think what we're finding out and maybe, you know, the Steven Ruiz's of the world would disagree, but like Trevor Lawrence maybe isn't what we thought he was. And, you know, and maybe. Well, he likely isn't what we thought he was. I think at this point we can say he likely is not who, not like generational prospect, right? He's not the next Andrew Luck. Okay. Probably, probably, probably not. I mean, the, the fact is, is the guy, and you know, there's always Josh Allen lurking in the background, you know, but, and, and and he, um, you know, he's, you know, he doesn't have that high end ability, I don't think, or, or or it's not clear that you're ever going to tap into that. So what's the second best thing you can do? You can surround him with high end players, right? So they, you know, and Christian Kirk isn't a high end player. He's a good player. Marvin Jones isn't a high end player. He's a good player. Um, you know, Zay Jones is similarly, Travis Etienne is kind of that, you know, he looks good at running back, but he kind of runs weird and looks like he's always going to get hurt. Um, and so you add to that like a very a player who, if you hit on him, will be great. I mean, Calvin Ridley was a very good Falcon. And so that that I think is what they're doing is sort of like they they went into this free agency draft or you know, signing players as if Lawrence had that high ceiling. And I think this is a move that acknowledges that maybe he doesn't. And they would need to, you know, add high ceiling players around him to get to the production that they need. Yeah, I mean, they they spent a lot on Christian Kirk. And we, we all say Christian Kirk is not a one. And he hasn't really functioned like a one here. Yeah, I think you just look around on that team, right? Zay Jones, you know, it's, it's, it's your other guy there who's been fine. But this is like a legit shot at a one, which you do not have that often. But then, you know, it always goes in. Like, you got to look at the flip side. Like, if you look at Claypool, I get it why the Steelers might be willing to get rid of him. They have a couple of great receivers there. If you look at... The Falcons, is this just like simply that they have pits in London? So is that why they're willing to move on from Ridley? Because otherwise, like he could be a valuable player for them too next year if they drafted a, a quarterback. Well, I, I think, you know, and, and back when George and I were doing the mock draft in 2021, we got sauteed because we had Chase going to the Falcons. And it's like, 
well, if Ridley hits for you, like that's a player that you have to sign. And, you know, I, I have to look and see, you know, as far as 2023 is concerned, but 2022, the Falcons had, you know, one of the uh, most egregious cap situations in the league. Now they have the second most space next year, but yeah. I, I think, you know, and, and look like some of the things have hit for them. Their offensive line looks terrific. Like that was a, that was a problem for a while. And, and but they're, they're now going to have to, those first round picks that they, that they, they're going to have to lean into those players financially um, defense. Like there isn't like how many good players do they have defensively. Like it, it's, you know, they just got rid of Deion Jones. Can you name how many players Great. can you name on their defense who are currently not injured other than Grady Jarrett? Yeah, it's Grady Jarrett, but even Grady Jarrett's fallen off, I think, a little bit production-wise. Or at least I'm just saying, he might prior. be the only guy that I can name on their defense. I yeah, know. and so... <laughs> check the roster. AJ Terrell's out, Casey Edwards out, all these guys. Yeah. Well, and and quarterback. Like, if they... If, if shy of drafting, and, and I know they have Desmond Ritter, the 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 king of... Uh, the king of uh, We Really Know Ball football Twitter. Uh, oh, but yeah. but, he, but he's not he's not playing right now. And, you know, you might want to... And look, like, think about this for a second. You go into next offseason, the Bucks are desolate. The the Panthers are, you know, I, I would say uh rebuilding is maybe a, a the nicest thing I could say about them. And the Saints are a disaster again. Like you're the Falcons, you might need all that money to sign a quarterback because you want to win that division. And yeah, so yeah. you know, whether that quarterback is like, you know, Kirk Cousins or I don't know, like, but you you have to like that type of quarterback, Jimmy G, for example, Derek Carr is going somewhere. Derek Carr yeah, is probably like, going somewhere next year. So I think the Ridley thing for them was more like if he is good, he has the draft capital and the pedigree that he's going to price this out of the market. And we already have cost control on, yeah. you know, Drake London and, and Kyle Pitts. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the London Pitts thing. Hopefully that's the case. I mean, I'll take a little bit of positive side on Ridley, but okay. This is bold. You want a bold take here? Um, when comparing some, some trade deadline talk here, I think there's probably as good of a chance, maybe even a better chance that Calvin Ridley is like a productive player for the Jaguars in 2024 than Kadarius Tony is a productive player for the Chiefs in 2024. You're just going right at me here. I, like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look. They give, lot, they give him more for Tony, obviously. And we've I, seen and Tony, more of a higher-end player for, for, for Ridley, wh- too. When, when, was, when was Ridley drafted? Was that like 25, 26? Yeah, well, he's on his fifth year option. It would have been this season, so it's 2018, I guess. Yeah, but like, so I, I want to say Tony. Oh, 20, was, yeah, you're right. You're right. He was in the 20s, definitely. Yeah, so Tony was drafted higher than Ridley, which is which I think shows you some interesting uh, evals because I don't think like I, I think that this Kadarius Tony was not brought into Kansas City to be an all around wide receiver, right? He was brought in to complement Sky Moore, who they hope to replace Juju. I think. He, he's um, going to catch year. those push passes. Those, yeah, those push yeah. MBS <laughs> is sort of their deep guy, and 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 so they 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 want him to replace McCole Hardman, I think, who's the kind of gadgety three touchdowns on Chet sweeps dude from the other day. Um, and and for a second and a fifth, they're probably value. Like I I argue with Chiefs fans all the time. I think McCole Hardman has lived up to his draft position, even though he's been a disappointment. Um, you know, because they drafted him before Metcalf and stuff. So. For a second and a fifth and a relatively modest salary, I'll take that out of Tony. But I agree with you. I mean, Ridley's a much better all-around player and and uh, much more imper- much more resilient to changes in scheme and quarterbacks. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went over the whole Tony thing last last week also, so I don't want to get on it too much. But I just thought I'd pose that um, that maybe they'll. I don't think it's a hot take at all, honestly. I I think it's I think it's a very reasonable assessment of what I mean. The the biggest information we talk about information. The information here is that the Giants need wide receivers like you and I need to breathe, and they still traded them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there isn't. They don't have a Kyle Pitts or a Drake London uh, sitting around over over there. Okay, um, we don't have a ton of time here because I know you got to get out of here. So maybe I'll just quickly say to the Bills again: blockbuster, conditional six round pick for <laughs> Zach Moss for Naheem Hines. Just congratulations to. Um, Brandon Bean, because this has just been taking up way too much of your mind space for the for the last 10 months, two years, whatever, yeah. to try and find, like, the, 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 to lose out a bidding war on J.D. McKissick. Uh, so it's, congratulations. You got your guy, uh, James Cook, you know. I feel like uh, he just wakes up in the – like, Brandon Bean, <laughs> one of the best executives in all of football, bar none, uh, just has this, like – you know the ner- yeah, is that Wolverine <laughs> picture with like yeah, yeah. For in there is like a completely replaceable third down back that he's just like well, yeah. how do I get this guy on my on my squad yeah I, I feel like even with like really people who are really good at their job it's like Andy Reid it's like Andy Reid is so good at being a head coach but my guy can't handle the clock to save his life <laughs> like I, at all right so like you take the good with the bad Brandon Bean's a terrific executive and my he just has a thing for running backs and like to be honest the fact that this ended up being his running back acquisition, like I, I feel yeah. like everybody in the building is like breathing a sigh of relief because, uh, you know, it could have been a lot worse. I mean, if they would have gone after McCaffrey, I, you know, I, when there were there were times when, uh, you know, McCaffrey was rumored to go to Buffalo last week, and I, I I texted somebody in the Chiefs organization. I go, hey, congratulations on your next four Super Bowls, because like <laughs> that that was going to probably ruin, uh, you know, their their window, but. Um, but yeah, so I, I think Naheem Hines is a good football player. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, no, know. He's fine. He's fine. It's just like one of those things where, you know what I want to see this Bills offense do more? Dump it off to running backs. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not what I want to see. But anyway. Did I, miss, did I miss the game on Sunday night? Like, uh, Devin Singletary looked good. I like, know. What? Why do they hate Devin Singletary so much? They use another mid-round pick on Zach Moss. They're they're wanting everyone. Like, okay, anyway. Anyway, okay, let's, uh, again, I don't want to spend too much time on that because we got we got to hit quickly at least. The TJ Hawkinson deal. So we're, I, I like a little bit of this like parlor game that, that, uh, uh, Quasi's playing with the, the picks here because it's a fourth and a conditional fourth, a fifth if you win a playoff game, um, for a second and a third. So you're flipping everything around. I plugged all this into our calculator here for war value and it came out to about being equivalent of the first pick in the third round. So this is another one, though, where I get everything from the Vikings perspective from a flip side of like, what are the Bears doing when you're not competing? What are the what are the Lions doing? I know you're not competing, but you're one in six. You're probably going to get a quarterback. You're going to plug in there next year. Wouldn't it be nice to have TJ Hawkinson on a fifth year option that you already picked up of nine million dollars or something like that? Yeah. I think it's I think it's the Lions' internal evaluation of Hawkinson, which is a great receiving tight end, but he can't block anything. Um, and Dan, I thought it was Manning, supposed to be the opposite coming out, not the opposite, but it was like we knew he wasn't fast, but we thought he could block. Right, he was a he was a Iowa tight end. Um, yeah, I think it's that. I also just think it's like when Jameis Williams comes back, Amon Ross St. Brown, DJ Chark's a player. I know he was just on a shorter deal. I also just think it's like where where are the targets going to go? Like I, I think it's about Jamison Williams more than anything that they expect him to come in 
and and get a lion's share of the stuff on the outside. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown kind of in, in between the hash marks and, you know, Hawkinson, if they can get a third for him, you know, you let that defense, I, I we, we call it the Detroit Lions because there's no D on that team. Like that, that team is terrible uh, defensively. And I think you build a defense with, with, with a lot of draft capital. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what they're going to do. You know, I, I guess I kind of get it from both sides, but maybe not a lot. And I would say, again, I'll just reiterate, I think the Vikings have gained the most in terms of informational knowledge this season with the fact that they're six and one. So they're like a 95% chance to make the playoffs at this point. Irv Smith's down, you know, all that stuff, you know, go ahead and, and take a shot here with a, again, an early third round pick, not, not the worst pick you'll have them for 9 million next year. If you want to franchise tag them, it's always very cheap for tight ends. It'll be another, you know, 12, 13 million the year after. So good, good deal all around there. Anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? Not, not really. Um, if folks, uh, if folks uh, liked, uh, you know, the oh, yeah, podcast, you got a plug. Let's plug. Let's yeah, plugs um, I, I currently uh, do a podcast called the Sumer Sports Show with uh, Eric Eager and Thomas Dimitrov. It's every Wednesday we try to go uh, with that. We're going to start doing it live. I have a vacation next week and stuff. So we're going to wait till I'm done with that. But but yeah, Thomas, we don't really talk about betting. So it's a little different than the forecast, a little bit different than this show. Um, we mostly talk about sort of our our you know stories and perspectives within the league, but I, it's a very fun time, and I think people have enjoyed it so far. So when you're done listening to this great show, uh, give our show a listen. Now, have you have you exerted your nerd brain influence on Thomas, or is he like he's like uh, we, they need to trade up and they need to uh, sign big contracts? What what are these guys doing over there? And I'm just kidding, but I just remember, I listened to his podcast. He's pretty good podcast where we go around and travel and talk yep. to different GMs. Like basically once an episode is like drink when he talks about trading up for Julio Jones and like the success of that type of move. So are you wearing down on his, on this, on this results base sort of stuff? Yeah, I think, um, and, and to be honest, like one of the reasons I, I went into business with Thomas was, you know, I think that he's a, a very pragmatic person and he's, he takes in a lot of information and like, I, he can look back at a trade like the Julio trade and say, you know, I don't know if I would do that again. I think, I think he would say that um, even though the trade obviously won. Um, you know, in the end, um, but no, he's, he does a really good job. And, and honestly, like in the time when he got let go by the Falcons and when I was working with him uh, as a consultant, like it was really refreshing to see somebody who was um, that introspective about his time in the league for somebody who, you know, had a lot of success that obviously ended poorly, um, but he had a tremendous amount of success. And yet he looked very introspectively about what his time in Atlanta represented. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, rarely it ends well, right? And these for someone yeah, that it always young. ends, right? So like when did, yeah. yeah. And he so. was, I mean, like tenure is concerned. Like there, there are few guys who are around for that long. And again, he started being as young as good. So much success to you, much success to Thomas, everyone there. Follow Eric on Twitter at Eric Eager underscore. Don't there's some invitations out there who are trying to take the old PFF handle. Um, you need yeah. you need a blue check mark. Now you can pay for it. Eight dollars a month. We'll get we'll get Eric uh, verified by Elon personally by Elon on Twitter. Everyone else here. Thank you for joining me. I will be coming Friday morning again to review the Thursday night, the glory of Thursday night football and then talk about this weekend's action. Until then, I'll be talking to everyone on Friday. Thanks so much.